This is why you're fucking poor. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Welcome, welcome, 2018, 2018, all right. (laughs) Like it fucking matters. Time is all an illusion anyways, as if today were any different than the days that preceded it, right? But we like to give meaning somehow to mark mark the time, to pretend like it really exists. It's it's all an infinite expanse, you guys. You're just going to come back again and again in a different shape and form and place. I don't know. I don't know if that part's true, but anyway, happy 2018. I hope you had a really fun New Year's Eve. I don't, I watched a movie with my husband, fell asleep uh, about 11. (laughs) Does that sound boring enough? Anyways, exciting news. I've added a show at the uh, Pasadena Ice House, January 12th. The 8 p.m. show sold out, so we're going to do a 10 p.m. show. Tickets available at Christina P. Online. 10 p.m. show. It's going to be crazier than the 8 p.m. Haller. Everybody knows that. 10 p.m. is when all the, the death cats come out, all the masturbators in the dark, all the, the scary people. Yeah! Just kidding. It's, it's going it's to be fun. It'll be good. February 2nd and 3rd, Salt Lake City, Utah, Wise Guys Comedy Club. And by the way, I already I'm doing new material. So if you've seen the Netflix special and you've liked it, thank you very much. Uh, but if you come to see me, you won't be seeing the same stuff, uh, thankfully, right? I got to write new material. So uh, Salt Lake City and then February 23rd, Calusa Casino, uh, one show, one night only, Calusa, California. And then March 30th and 31st, Portland, Oregon at the Helium Comedy Club. Very exciting. Christina P. Online for tickets. Merch. I got uh, t-shirts based on the hour if you're into that sort of thing. And uh, Yeah. I guess that's, I think that's it. Anyway, come see me do a stand-up. It's, it is, that is my, one of my favorite things in life uh, to do. All right. All right, dudes, let's, uh, let's get into it, man. Oh, it's 2018. What the fuck is going to happen? <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. I like the Beastie Boys. I've been listening. You got to go Beastie Boys. You got to go positive energy. And those dudes are so positive. When I was preparing for my special, even when I was getting my makeup done, I was sitting in the makeup chair and I said, put the Beastie Boys on, man. Because, you know, you got to get your mind right. And these dudes are like the king of positive energy. I just ah, fucking love them. Okay. All right. Here you go. I have never been more ready in my entire life to do this right now. Never. Up to this moment, all right now, right here, my whole life, right here. We got five selections in the white array. Shade your bone, 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 shade. The body feels the street. We 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 got a ring, bone, bone, my beat down. A B R O C K. I use a microphone like Picasso used play. Down with records from around the way. He's the man by the end, Jazzy J. I'm rocking on the mic from here to Bombay. Give him a best and say, come what may Cause everybody's got their dues to pay I'm looking sideways like a man pay 
don't gotta play But I could understand Cause he sounds so nice Reading you the news Cause I'm country mind Use a microphone Like Shazam use tight Try to keep clear That hate and spite So I keep my mind still Like the still overnight Now who in the world Do you want to fight It's against the system We should unite Rest in peace, MCA. Damn. Oh, that's part of the best part, actually. Love it. This is the only time I want to be from New York City. Is when I listen to the BC Boys. I wish I had a fucking LA band that represented this hard, but I guess we had a few. I guess we had a few, right? Jane's Addiction. They were LA. Fucking, fucking X, bro. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a few. Anyway, hi. 2018, guys, we did it. We're here. We're over the holiday hump. God damn it. And now we can get back to, to regular life. I hope you had a, a chance to take some time down and to uh, enjoy the moments of the holidays. I had my family here. It was uh, it was good. It was good. I told you about that last time. Anyway, New Year's Eve, we did it. My husband um, had a stomach flu and vomited. Uh, my kid had diarrhea and my nanny was gone. So I got to take care of everybody. And we all, you know, I have the phobia. I got the, the vomit thing. So that really, woo, that put me into quite a tailspin. I really had to do some talking myself down uh, the anxiety ledge from that one. I don't, you know, and for, if you don't know this about me, that is like, I, I have a, I have a, I have a thing with puking, man. I, uh, started since I was a kid. I, it started around nine years old. It, they say it starts cause you have some traumatic events surrounding vomiting as a child and then it gets left, it's left untreated. And then you develop kind of a phobia, a weird thing. And I developed a weird thing around it. I, I gotta talk to my shrink about it on Thursday. I can't, I can't wait to, <sighs> I, I got to talk to her. And um, anyway, it got me to thinking about asking for help. Because, um, you know, when I spiral like, and, and like anybody else, I think my first thought is like, I can handle it. I got this. I got to bottle it up. I got to. And uh, <clears throat> and that's not a that's not a good way to handle stuff. Uh, from what I've learned, you got to you got to ask for help. You got to express your feelings and stuff. And, uh, and then things get much better. And I did, and I did, and I asked for help and, and, and I expressed my feelings of deep, deep crippling anxiety, uh, to my husband surrounding vomiting and, um, and it helped, believe it or not, it, it actually helped. So there, and then there's, uh, so I was watching, uh, two documentaries or what, uh, no, I was listening to Howard Stern's show. There was John Cougar, or I don't know if it's just John Mellencamp, but there's been so many incarnations of that gentleman's name. Uh, I was listening to him, and I was also watching the documentary about Jim Carrey playing the part of um, of um, Andy Kaufman, as they say it. Kaufman, or is it Kaufman or Kaufman? I'm not sure. But all the comedians like to pronounce it Kaufman. So I was watching this documentary, and it's pretty great because I love Jim Carrey. I think he's one of the most talented human beings on the planet comedically. The guy's an amazing actor just like amazing. And, um, and so apparently, and I don't want to spoil, no spoiler alerts here, but so he's one of these guys that, that does, I believe what's called method acting where when they play a role, 
they don't they don't clock out. Like it's not a job. It's a twenty four seven identity. Um, so he became Andy Kaufman on the set. And if you know anything about Andy, he was a very annoying person. I think that was his whole persona is like, I'm going to, I'm going to agitate. I'm going to annoy. I'm going to provoke. I'm going to, um, you know, make people question the boundaries of reality and, and what, what is important and what is truth, whatever. Or maybe it's not even that deep. Maybe he was just kind of a jerk and he enjoyed being an asshole. Fine. So, so, so Jack Harry was Andy Kaufman the whole time he's on set, which means he's irritating the shit out of the director, <laughs> out of his fellow um, actors, out of craft services, out of everybody, just being, being annoying 24 seven, which I, Hey, I don't act for a living, so I don't understand. Um, but if that's how he does his job, then that's how he, he's, he's an amazing performer. So he knows what he's doing. So there's this, he's a wonderfully philosophical, deep dude. Jim Carrey um, has clearly gone to the mountaintop and, and also, you know, went inside his sannyasin, uh, whatever cave journey he sat under his Bodhi tree and he has come back enlightened and he's got a lot of cool stuff to say about showbiz and life and this and that. Uh, but I do have to say, and I've noticed this trend, and this was also said by John Cougar Mellencamp on the Stern Show, uh, it really bothers me, like fucking bothers me, when um, hugely successful, like banana successful people, like those two gentlemen, who have millions of dollars in the bank, like the kind of money that you and I can't even fucking fathom the fuck you money where they wake up in the morning and their concern is like, ah, will I paint today or will I ride my yacht? I don't know. I've just got all this time to fill. Like these are the people that are so disconnected from the day to dayness of having to, uh, just grind out any sort of real existence. Now, Hey, I'm a comedian. I don't live the nine to five, but I believe you me. I wake up, I grind out material. I just fucking been writing my dick off now. And I, I do the show. You know what I mean? Like I'm still worried about paying bills. Always will always be full of anxiety. So, so anyway, these rich, successful, uh, people, one of their favorite things to do once they get enlightened, once they realize that fame is not um, the end all be all and that being successful and having money will not make your mommy or daddy love you, validate you the way you want. What they do is they like to tell other people, um, how unimportant it is to be successful or famous or have money. You know, like Jim Carrey, as much as I love him was like, you know, I hope everybody gets to be, uh, successful and famous and, um, and I hope they get to do it so that they realize it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Says the guy who doesn't have to wake up in the morning and go to a job. Says the man who does not have a two-year-old uh, life depending on him every day. Or bills to pay. Like, I'm sure he does, but he's also got millions of dollars. So... John Cougar too, same thing. He was like, well, I mean, I made it to the mountaintop and then I realized it was nothing there. So fuck being famous and fuck having money. And it's like, dude, n- n- how about this? How may I propose this millionaires of America who are 
so upset that there's no meaning, intrinsic meaning in fame and celebrity and money. Allow me to propose this. And this is for everybody listening too, who, you know, you don't, don't, don't you dare fall into this bullshit trap of like, well, I tried being successful, but it doesn't matter because no, 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 no. Allow me to propose that maybe, just maybe you can reach the mountaintop of all the success that you want in the world. You can have all the money in the world. You can be as thin as beautiful as you like. You can have as many partners sexually as you want, as many children as you want. You can have it all. You can have all the stuff and still realize that, yes, it may not hold all the intrinsic meaning you put upon it, but that doesn't mean you can't poo-poo its existence or that you should discourage others from chasing those things. And I think when we devalue the things that we've accomplished or devalue accomplishments, and I, you know, and that to me is the same problem with like a little bit with Buddhism. And I, Nietzsche said, this, this isn't me, uh, but he believed it to be very nihilistic, nihilistic, nihilistic in that it's a will to nothingness, right? It's a, it's an extinguishing of one's own desires. And that's impossible. That is just impossible as humans, because I think we, you know, hey man, we all want to be uh, Elon Musk freaking everybody out in California, shooting satellites off into the sky, right? Why? Because that's the nature of humanity is to constantly move forward, to constantly be evolving, to constant, constant expansion, whether or not it's intrinsically good. Um, I don't know. I don't know that science in and of itself is a great thing. I don't know that robots are in and of themselves fantastic things, but we do it. But uh, it always kills me the privilege, the absolute disgusting privilege and the, you know, of the rich celebrity telling me (laughs) that it's like, oh, you don't need money. You don't need a nice house. You don't need the, uh, the wonderfulness of, excuse me, being rich and successful. Why not have all that stuff and still be happy despite it? See, that's how people ruin themselves. Like, oh, all this stuff, but fuck it, I'm going to blow it up. Don't blow up your good. Don't you dare. Get all the goodies that life has to offer and be happy despite it and be happy because of it, whatever. But you can have the epiphany that, yeah, that stuff won't bring you intrinsic lasting happiness. Of course it won't. No one said it would. You said it would. And then you were disappointed when you, you, you failed. You set yourself up and you failed. But that doesn't mean you stop pursuing it or that you stop enjoying uh, the goods. You know what I would say to uh, Jim Carrey? Really? Oh, is it is having millions of dollars such a bummer? Oh, is it really that bad being successful? Well, why don't you give it all away? Why don't you give your millions, your stacks of money to poor people, to people who don't have money, to the people listening to this show who are fucking barely getting by right now? I dare you. I dare you, John Cougar Mellencamp. It, it makes me nutty. Enjoy your money and shut up about it, right? God damn it. The point is you can have the goodies. You can have it all and you can still be happy. There's no, there's no, rich people are not inherently evil because guess what? Poor people suck too. It, it doesn't make you shitty being too pretty or too thin or having too much. It's no, it's not possible. It doesn't make you a shitty person to want these good things in your life. And for some reason, uh, maybe it's Christianity. I was programmed to believe that, uh, guess what? The, the meek shall inherit the earth. No, they don't. They certainly do not. Because last time I checked, the word Trump was on most of the buildings. <laughs> the meek are not going to inherit. Trust me. <laughs> so 
it's just silliness. It's silliness that you have to choose between materialism and spiritualism. It's just, it's absurdity. Okay. And a lot of our spiritual leaders are flying around in private jets too. Uh, it doesn't matter. You can have both. You can be highly spiritual, highly functioning, happy, and have all the stuff in the world and not poo-poo it. So there you go. I implore you for 2018 because I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I think that the idea of starting over on an arbitrary day on this lunar calendar and saying, from now on, I'm going to be a different person. How about just continually have great goals? How about always be working towards the good in your life? I, I don't know this resolution. You're setting yourself up for a fantastic failure when you set goals to, you know, these grand goals that are really sometimes you need to just baby step them and and do them all the time, whatever. Okay. This is the day when like personal trainers are just flooded and, and weight weight loss programs and all kinds of people, but I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that, you know, the expectation of you is very high right now. So be, be kind to you, be kind to you and what you're doing. So there you go. John Cougar Mellencamp. I mean, it's a pointless being famous. And they also like to say that stuff too when they're not as famous anymore. It's it's ironic that that kind of happens. Like, well, fame isn't everything. Well, no, because you haven't really been in the public eye since 1986. So that, yeah. Okay. Let's start with this dude. I like this guy. He writes, uh, I'm a 26. Oh, we didn't even do that. Listen. Always fucking forget the intro song. God damn it. Where is it? Oh, here we go. Here's the intro to the emails. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Okay. So this first one comes from Andrew. He's so sweet. He gave me a link to his Instagram page. <laughs> and I checked it out. I love people's Instagram. I got to follow him. Okay, he writes, I'm a 26-year-old man living at home with my parents, and I feel like a total loser. In reality, I'm not a loser by any meaningful definition, yet the thought pervades my mind frequently. I'm blessed to say that over the last five years, I lived the life of my dreams, spending around 1,000 days traveling solo to 35 countries, playing music professionally, and checking off most of my bucket list items. In October of 2017, I returned home from a 10-month adventure across 14 countries in three continents. After two months in recovery from Giardia, picked up in India from eating free food given out next to an open sewer. Long story, he writes in parentheses. I started to get my life. Yeah, uh, I think Giardia is a, a given when you go to India. I, especially I hear there's a thing called uh, Delhi Belly that you get, right? Or is that an eat, pray, love? I don't know. Anyway, he started to get his life. Um, I was accepted to graduate school. I hired a nutritionist slash personal trainer since I was almost as fat as Bert. Oof, good luck. I started my own consulting business, officially self-employed, and will graduate with no debt, but only if I live at home. So I have all these things going for me, but I still feel like a total loser. Frankly, I'm worried that I won't be able to find a girlfriend since I'm a guy in his mid-20s living at home. My question is, how do I stop feeling like a loser for such a silly thing? Okay. Well, uh, you know, you're not a loser, A. You're not, Andrew. And I uh, I looked at your uh, Instagram page. You're right. You're a goddamn winner. <laughs> you're doing all kinds of cool stuff, my man. You've got your fucking life together. And I think that's fantastic. But 
But if you're a guy in your mid-20s living at home, yeah, of course you're not going to get laid, bro. God damn it. That's the problem. You got everything else together. But if you're living at home, you're not, girls aren't going to want to go back to your folks' house and, and, and get hammered by you. God, I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm happy that you're, you're trying to maintain a debt-free status. But I come from an, an era, a generation where we were kicked out at 18. My mother told me, once you turn 18, I am kicking you out of the house. You may not return. There is no coming back. <laughs> so I had the fear of failure of God put into me that I was going to, I'd rather die in the streets. I had no choice. There was no going back. There was no home. This is it. And let me tell you, uh, maybe you have great parents and that's fucking fantastic. I didn't. That was the last place I wanted to go was home. I lived, I was practically homeless. I lived in my friend's kitchen. A kid, I lived in a kitchen for uh, two months in my 20s. I lived on a futon in the kitchen and my friends would wake up for work, get their coffee ready and be like, good morning, Christina. Oh, hey. They would watch episodes of Friends on my futon because I had the TV in the kitchen. So the thought of going home was so mortifying and terrifying to me that I would rather be homeless or semi-homeless living in a kitchen than go back. I frankly fucking hated being home. That's the truth of it. But hey, there was also no option. My mother gave me no choice and I'm kind of thankful for it. Um, I'm thankful for it because I got really resourceful and it sounds like you're very resourceful. And here's the thing, man, living on your own is one of the best things you're ever going to do with your life. Before you get married, men, women, live alone, do it. Living alone before you have kids, before you do anything, live alone. It's so great. You come home. There's no fucking roommate yammering at you. You can come home, take your pants off, uh, plunk down in front of television, eat whatever you want, however you want. You can do whatever you want all the time. It's so great, man. It's so great. So quiet. You know, and then get married and have children. But before that, and the truth of it is, if you're not living alone and you're in your 20s, I mean, I remember when I had a place, I lived with a boyfriend, and I, I remember being like, yeah, this is it, man. Just the freedom. I would rather be working four jobs. And I was at one point. Working four jobs just to come home to my apartment and be able to smoke cigarettes indoors, eat ice cream out of the carton at 10 p.m. or whatever, play video games until whenever I wanted, do what the fuck I want just to be away from my parents. So this is a trade-off you're going to have to make, my love. And life is just a series of decisions. It's, you're not a loser. There's no, um, this is not a mark on your character and I think so often we take these things, you know, especially when we're young, to be dramatic markers of who we are. This isn't, you're not a loser, my boo-boo. In fact, you're hyper-responsible. You've thought it out so well. You've done such a great job that you've put yourself in a position, you know, where you're probably not going to be able to date a whole lot. 
So you got really super practical and that's really super awesome, but the fun of it is going to be out of there. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to do what you want until you get the fuck out of your folks house. That's just the truth. Now, I mean, look, here's the other thing. Uh, accrue some debt. I, I accrued, uh, quite a lot of student, <laughs> student loan debt. Uh, but then again, I went to a private school for college. I studied at Oxford for a year. I took an extra semester. I did the honors program in the humanities. I took a minor. I did a lot of stuff thinking, reasoning later that I'll just find a way to pay for it later. And I did. And you fucking can. Now I know that living expenses are pretty harsh when you're a student. I know it's, it's, it's a fucking huge thing. But you've got this uh, consulting business. Maybe do some math, dude. How many more hours, how many more clients do you need to pick up to cover rent? How can you do it cheaply? Can you get a studio apartment somewhere? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where you're living. Hold on. I don't know where this is. But what kind of public transportation do you have? All that stuff, man. Because to me personally, my freedom was worth the debt. My freedom to not see my fucking family was pretty amazing. The freedom was worth the the, the payment of having to work 24-7, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, you're not a loser. And so, you know, it's so funny when I, I, uh, read these e- I read these emails now as an adult, and I the language, you guys, you're just beating yourselves up so badly. Like it, it hurts to read the the language just because like I, I wouldn't talk to other people that way, but we talk to ourselves that way, which is just like, oh, it's just killing me. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here's how you stop feeling like a loser. Get the fuck out of your parents' house. Seriously. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the only way you're going to be free. I mean, I cannot even imagine living with my folks in my twenties. I can't, I can't, I couldn't get far enough away. I couldn't get out fast. I left when I was 17, (laughs) a whole year earlier, just to get out, man. And it was the best thing I ever did. Was it easy? No, 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 but nothing worth it ever is. And who are these goddamn parents letting these children move back in? I'm telling you, I, uh, maybe it's a generational thing, but in my generation, we were not allowed to come back. Fuck that. I would rather die anyways. Quite on. I would rather put a bullet in my mouth and see, I, even in college, I remember coming home for like Christmas break Ugh, and just having to like, my stomach would hurt the entire, what, two and a half weeks, three weeks. Cause they kick you out of the dorms. You couldn't come back. I was like, fuck, what can I do to not go home? Like, is there, can I stay in a hotel for three weeks? I can stay with a friend, just anybody, man. Ugh. I couldn't imagine being 26 and the things you do at 26. You're drinking, you're partying, got girlfriends, whatever. You can't do that with your mom watching you cleaning your underwear and shit. Nah, dude. Nah, bruh. Don't you want your freedom, man? You got, you got freedom. Freedom has a price. You gotta pay for that shit, man. Got to pay the piper. It is a trap too. I mean, I have known kids that move back home in their twenties or late twenties. Uh, it can't. It can be a lot harder to leave once you're back because it does get real convenient. It really does. You got those meals. Mom's doing your laundry. 
got no overhead, but the price you pay is an emotional fucking torment. I mean, I think even if you have nice parents, it's just like, even the good ones make you crazy. Okay. This is so funny. Edit. What happened here? Okay. (laughs) Uh... This next email, I swear, I'm going to get into so much trouble for answering it, but you know what? What can I do? <laughs> this, is, this is totally out of my depth, totally out of my range, totally inappropriate for me to, to respond to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay. Mommy Tina, I need your help. I am black, 26-year-old. I am bl- a black, 26-year-old girl in Nashville, and I hate it. I feel super ugly, worthless, and unwanted because it feels like everywhere I turn, I'm surrounded by people, she writes in parentheses, mostly black guys and white people who like to joke about and talk about how black girls are ugly, loud, mean, smell bad, dumb, etc. I've been dealing with this since middle school by just trying to ignore comments slash people, but I'm starting to hit a wall. It makes me very sad and makes me feel like I'll never find my tribe or a man. So I've been in bed for about two weeks now. How do I deal with this properly? Um, and she includes a picture of herself, which she's fucking adorable. She's gorgeous. Oh my God. She's totally cute. You guys. Okay, again, I'm going to get into so much trouble for answering this question. Of course I am. So let's just start by saying the obligatory stuff that I'm supposed to say. Uh, A, I'm not a woman of color. I am a white, cisgendered, privileged uh, female, right? Um, So unfortunately, that's that's the only perspective I, I really truly understand. So to speak on racial things and having to deal with the stereotypes that you've dealt with and to be made to feel the way you've, I I can't even imagine it and I can't even comment on it. And I am so sorry. Uh, It breaks my heart because I'm looking at you and you're gorgeous. You're absolutely stunning. Uh, There's no reason for people to be saying, and even if you were unattractive, like really? Okay. Just to hear something horrible about you, uh, the generalizations. Black girls are ugly, loud, me, yes, yes, all this stuff is fucking terrible. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with it. But here's some stuff I can tell you. I think that, well, hey, you're 26. Let's start there, okay? It's hard dating. You're trying to find a man, okay? You hate Nashville. I, I don't fucking understand why. Uh, this is just me. I, I have no idea why black people live in the South. I fucking don't get it. I mean, if, if, if I were a black person and I, and like someone just dropped me in Nashville and they explained to me like the South and slavery, I'd be like, wait, what? Wait, what? I, I gotta go. Where's the East? Where's the West? I gotta get out. This is not for me. I just, I, you know, and it's a cultural thing in the South. I don't get it. I'm a California girl and this might be very naive of me. I'm an LA girl. I grew up here in the city and I, I just fucking, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're hanging out with douchebags, horrible people that say horrible shit, man. And also, just so you know, at 26, guys generally, and this is a generalization too, kind of suck for dating. 
They're immature. People, I should say, in their 20s can be immature, can say things that are just not true and are silly and just dumb. And, you know, I'm sorry. That fucking really sucks. So here's what you can do. Get the fuck out of Nashville. What are you doing there? <laughs> Get out. Right? Get out of the South, man. I, I don't know. Maybe come to the West Coast or the East Coast or D.C. or I don't know. I feel like there's places that people will accept you much more readily. Look, you're beautiful, man. Come to L.A. There's lots of dudes that will date you. There's lots of people that are smarter than these people that will hang out with you. There you go. And Kimberly, I don't know. This is a huge, broad question, but here's what I will say, man. Your age sucks. It just sucks being in your 20s. And also, I mean, to give you some some context racially, I don't know. Again, I can't comment on this stuff. Uh, but just know that... The reason that blonde hair, blue eyed demons are valued as beautiful or privileged is just because the white Europeans that conquered everybody set the tone, right? So if black people had conquered the world, then black people would be considered the norm of what is whatever, the standards of beauty, blah, blah, blah. So it's really just who's in charge that dictates all that horseshit. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's all. I mean, unless you're like being a total mean person, I don't think you are. Uh, but yeah, can you leave Nashville? <laughs> I hope I helped. I'm sorry. I just felt so badly for you. And I just want you to know I saw your picture and I think you're stunning. And I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think that you deserve to feel that way. It's terrible. Okay. I don't even know if that was very helpful. I'm sorry. So I got this email too. This one really fucking, oof. Uh, this lady writes in. So um, she's a 34-year-old woman. She met a charming narcissistic man in AA seven years ago. She's in recovery and has been sober for 10 years. She sees the counselor, the psychiatrist. She's doing her best to get her life. Good um, everything was great in the beginning with this guy, and then she got pregnant. We're together for three and a half years. Um, she thought maybe he was bipolar. It's not alcohol. It's not uncommon for alcoholics to have dual diagnoses. Um, but he never sought out therapy. Shortly after we split up, I discovered I was pregnant with our second child. It was unfortunate timing and a hard nine months, but it is what it is, and I'm not going back to the chaos. It has been about four years since we split up and is still one of the best decisions I've ever made for my sons. A broken family was never my goal in life or what I would have chosen to raise my children in, but the relationship their dad and I maintain with each other now is probably the most normal and civil it will ever be. So about two years ago, he told me he had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I don't know. I didn't know much about this disorder, so I have to research it. And oof, what a mess. I don't know anyone else who had this particular affliction, so I have no point of reference for it, uh, which is why I so appreciate how candid you are about your experience with your mother. It's so validating, even after the fact, to realize I was not crazy. Okay, so her problem is, how do I deal with this person as the father to my children? I myself am fine. I've done lots of therapy. 
uh, I have the tools to deal with him and our interaction and keep it to a minimum and always about the children, but I worry incessantly about his impact on our kids. Legally, I have no right or reason to limit his interactions with them. And to his credit, he usually, usually shows up for them. He sporadically takes parenting, parenting, parenting sabbaticals, sometimes for months on end, but for the most part, he is part of their lives which if he were well would be great, but he is not well. And our kids often tell me how they don't want to go see him because he is mean and yells all the time. Unfortunately, he seems to think only physical assault counts as abuse and they love him and idolize him. And they're just little after all. I feel like I spend a considerable amount of time with my children undoing slash re-educating what he has done or said. How do I raise mentally stable children in the midst of this constant flux and with someone so unwell as my co-parent. Okay. When you were a child slash teen, young adult, is there anything anyone did for you or could have done for you that would have helped the situation you had with your mother? Um, okay. So that's the question she has. So firstly, let's back this ass up a little bit. I'm going to look up borderline personality disorder and give you the official textbook <laughs> um, overview. But, um, so my mom had it. Hold on. Let me see. Hold on. Hold on. One moment. Okay. I wanted to find an an official thing on this. So here's the borderline personality disorder, National Institute of Mental Health website. So my experience with borderline personality disorder, my mother had it and it's marked by, it's a mental illness and uh, no, she, well, she didn't need to be diagnosed, but this is back in the eighties when this wasn't really diagnosed in people, but uh, believe me, she fucking had it. Um, so borderline personality people have uh, very impulsive actions and problems and relationships. So number one, it's usually a fear of abandonment that drives them real or imagined. So in other words, they're so afraid of being abandoned, people with borderline personality disorder, that they will actually create a situation in which they are abandoned because they are so intolerable. It's so hard to be around them. Uh their moods are really unstable, one extreme to another. So my mother would get hyper-involved with my life and then just disappear like for a long time. Um, and very irrational, erratic behaviors. Um, one thing could set her off. Like I, you know, my room would be messy and then she'd go send me to live with my father for like three weeks or four weeks and she wouldn't take my phone calls and hor- like just crazy, crazy all over the map stuff. Uh, distorted and unstable self-image or sense of self, impulsive and often dangerous behavior. So that's another part of people with borderline personality disorders. They often, in addition to being really erratic, angry, um, moody people, uh, unstable people, they usually have a secondary thing like substance abuse, sex addiction, binge eating, reckless driving, gambling, what, like all the stuff, it generally accompanies that stuff. That's fun. Um, self-harming behavior, such as cutting, recurring thoughts of suicidal behaviors or threats, intense and highly changeable moods with each episode lasting from a few hours to a few days, chronic feelings of emptiness, inappropriate, intense anger or problems controlling anger. Yeah, that's another thing, the anger stuff. Oof. Difficulty trusting, uh, which is sometimes accompanied by irrational fear of other people's intentions. Yes, my mother thought that everybody was out to get her a lot. Feelings of disassociation, such as feeling cut off from oneself, seeing oneself from outside one's body, or feelings of unreality. 
So, uh, <laughs> how does someone get this? Um, well, it can be family history, brain factors. People with this disorder have structural and functional changes in the brain, especially in the areas that control impulses and emotional regulation, 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 uh, environment, cultural and social factors. You know, I think too, a lot of it, mostly this is with women. Most women have, well, sorry, the people who have this disorder generally tends to be women. Um, believed to be my mother anyway, because of a lot of uh, trauma in her early childhood that was unresolved and kind of just the wires got crossed. So that being said, is it treatable? Um, kind of. The problem is most borderlines will not seek help because the part of the disorder is that they don't see themselves as responsible. Um, so it's everyone else's fault. Everyone else is out to get them, right? The paranoia, the everyone, everyone's out to fuck me. So they're not going to go to the therapist generally. Now, there's like the tiniest percentage of people with this disorder that, that do get into therapy and aggressive therapy and like they really need to go and be vigilant about their um, mental health and they're really, really close to their therapist and they can work through it and live a functional life. But, ugh. Most of the time, it just kind of spirals and gets worse, and um, they don't live very long. Um, people untreated, borderline personality disorder, usually get a call somewhere in their life that they're just gone. They usually commit suicide, or yeah, they kind of it's it's not good. It's just not good. So um, this email, I I can't tell you. I don't know shit about co-parenting. I don't know shit about. Um, you know, that, that whole co-parenting alone has to be really, really difficult. Um, and then you throw in mental illness in the mix and it becomes, uh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's hard enough to co-parent with somebody who isn't mentally ill or addicted to something. Now, what I wish somebody had done for me as a kid, <laughs> uh, okay, here's what I, in an ideal world, what I wish would have happened. And I know everyone says like, well, you know, children should have a mommy and a daddy. No, no, no. I think we need to correct that thinking. I think children should have a good mommy and a good daddy, but it's not necessary to just have any mommy or, and, or daddy, whoever. It just matters that they have sane people, um, loving them, caring for them. So let's number one, dispel the idea, dispel the notion uh, that children necessarily need to have biological mothers and or fathers in the picture just because, but it's their daddy. Really? Well, their daddy is out of his fucking mind and is abusive or an alcoholic or a drug addict or is in prison, blah, blah, blah. Just because the guy is a bio dad and a sperm donor doesn't mean he needs to be in your kid's life. Okay, here's what I wish somebody would have done for me personally as a kid. Um, well, I wish I would have had, like I wish, I wish I would have had an adult who saw what was happening because a lot of the time, borderlines, uh, my mother was very adept at appearing normal. Um, she was very charming in, in the beginning, uh, which is kind of how they lure you in these people, these borderlines, they, they, they can lure you in because they're, I mean, romantically, uh, they're very 
big, right? My mother had a wonderfully big personality. She was gorgeous. Huge European cans, blonde, you know, just gregarious, like big laugh, big fun. And I think that's where I got a lot of my ability to perform actually from her because that she was the life of the party, man. Like, and so when I was a little girl and I tell people like, Hey, I don't, I don't really like my mom. I don't think I, I don't know. Something's wrong. They would be like, what? No way. Your mom's the life of the party. You're crazy. What fun, Edith? Like she's the best. <laughs> no, she's just foreign. That was my favorite too. Cause she was Hungarian. So people were like, but that's just your mom. That's my other favorite, but that's just your mom. You know how foreigners are. They're wacky and like, oh boy. So I was constantly invalidated as a kid. I was constantly, and I was an only child too, up until she remarried when I was 13. So I was constantly invalidated by everybody around me, all the adults that I would go to or be like, I don't know, man, this just doesn't, you know, add up this, uh, my mother kicked me out of the house for, you know, not having clean socks or whatever the fuck it was. Um, you know, including my father would just kind of, well, that's just her, just nutty Edith. And, you know, to his whatever, uh, whatever at the time, nobody knew. It's not like we knew the diagnosis of what was going on, but we did know that something was wrong. Okay. And looking back, I wish that somebody had stepped in like an adult that did have their fucking heads, not up their asses. I wish like an educator or just somebody had advocated on my behalf and had stepped in and gone, you know what? Uh, something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but I, you know, I, I, something we need to help this kid. And I would have loved it if somebody had removed me from her care, like seriously. And, um, yeah. And put me in a house, any house that was like pretty stable and, and loving and, you know, it's just, it's an absurd idea that just because you're genetically linked to somebody, uh, that that's the person that should be in your life. It's the stupidest fucking thing ever. And, you know, so in regards to what your kids are going through, let me just tell you what happens when you go to the parent's house that is the borderline. Your children go from a loving, nurturing environment with you into the upside down. And if you've seen Stranger Things, you know what I'm talking about. The upside down is dark and scary and makes no fucking sense. There's a book, there's a million books on Borderline, but um, um, it's like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, right? Up is down, down is up. And nothing makes sense. And the Borderline parent is so unregulated, so dysregulated, so up and down that none of it makes sense to them. And it is abusive and it is terrible and it is a nightmare. And, And if you're spending all your time having to undo the damage done during these visits, which by the way, you mentioned that his interest is sporadic. Well, yes, that's because he's a Borderline. My mother's interest was sporadic in me as well. She would take off for however many weeks, dump me off with my dad, right? So she could do what she wanted and then come back into my life. Uh, by the time I was 13, she decided she was done parenting. So I was all grown up and I was on my own. So yeah, they do that. They get super hyper interested and then super hyper disinterested. And to a child, that is probably one of the worst things you can do because they need constant consistent care and love and attention and approval. (laughs) 
<laughs> so why do they need a relationship with their daddy? That's what I would ask. And yes, they idolize him because he's the dad. And he's not the full-time dad. He's part-time dad. He's good times dad. He's vacation dad, whatever dad. So he doesn't discipline them regularly. He doesn't have to tell them no regularly. You do. So you're the bad guy. Yeah. But my plea to anybody listening who has a fucking borderline um, co-parent or whoever, whomever, parent, grandparent, anybody in your life that is a borderline, keep them the fuck away from your children unless they're in aggressive therapy and they're working on the problem consistently. Not once every five months they see the shrink. I mean, they have a shrink's number on speed dial and they're holding the hand of the therapist as they come to fucking visit your children because they're not well. And they can fake it for a minute or two, but I'm telling you, when you leave those babies with him and the fucking minute you leave, it's the upside down and it is terrifying for them. It's not okay. So my recommendation, uh, limit even more. Why the fuck do they need a relationship? Maybe it's holidays under your supervision. <coughs> he does not get to be alone with your kids. Because let me tell you something else about borderlines. That secondary addiction stuff, the binge eating or the um, alcohol or sex addiction or drug addiction stuff. Uh, you think he's not doing that when your kids are there? You think he's suddenly going to cut off whatever behaviors he's doing to be a good parent for the two, three days that he has your babes? No. So you don't know what other elements he's introducing to your children's lives, what women are coming in and out, what men are coming in and out, whoever, criminals, whatever the fuck. Uh, my mother remarried to a criminal. That was fun. <laughs> my mother used my social security number and opened up credit cards with my identity from the time I was 12 on. So these people that are supposed to protect you, these borderline parents, don't know how to do that. They don't know how to protect your babies. He doesn't know how to protect your babies. So you're throwing him into the fight. You're throwing them into the lion's den every time you drop them off to be alone with him. So my suggestion, if you need to have this guy in your kids' lives, you don't leave them alone with him. And if he says one fucking thing remotely out of line, uh-uh, you're out of there. You're gone. You take those babies and you get the fuck out. Um, and you know what you do? You explain it to your kids because they can handle it. Children can handle traumas as long as they're dealt with, right? You sit down and then you tell them, hey, uh, listen, mom made a mistake. And you blame yourself because children will blame themselves. They will blame themselves for a parent that is not in their lives. Believe me. You say to them, hey, it's mom's fault. I made babies with a dude who's not really equipped to be a dad who has mental problems. You can say something like his wires are crossed. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. His wires are crossed. His brain doesn't work well. And that's why he says mean things. That's why your daddy makes you feel bad because his brain isn't working. And I don't want to leave you alone with a guy whose brain isn't working. I think you can tell kids that, but you take responsibility because otherwise they're going to think it's them and him not liking them. And they're going to internalize that. At least what I understand, man. Because I really wish someone had fucking told me my mom's wires were crossed. <laughs> I thought my wires were crossed. 
Because that's another thing children don't understand when they're with borderlines or alcoholics or whoever, is that they'll put the, the crazy behavior on them. Because they, they can't even imagine that mommy and daddy are unstable. Because it means their whole world falls apart. So they have to take the blame. Well, mommy, mommy kicked me out because I'm a bad person. I must be a bad girl. Not that mom's crazy, right? So, I mean, man, I, uh, I, have, I have a lot of sympathy for you. I'm sorry that you, gotta, you, got, you, know, that you got to deal with this. Um, and also, you have a therapist, so I would, I would ask your therapist, hey, how do I have this conversation with my kids? Because I, you know, I don't know. what the, That's what I would say. I'm not sure I'm right. But, um, but uh, yeah, ask your therapist how to have these conversations. And he's not interested. Trust me. <laughs> your husband, your ex, your ex boy, whoever, this guy. <laughs> that's another thing is that we project our healthy uh, impulses and emotions onto mentally ill people. They just don't have the same um, impulses we do. So don't worry so much that he's not, you know, so he might get angry. He's going to rage out on you. Of course, he might threaten you, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what kind of legal action you can take, but uh, I'll tell you, if your husband, your ex is diagnosed with a mental illness, well, I don't know what court would allow the kids to stay with him. I'm not sure what state thinks that's cool. And generally, don't the mothers get custody, full custody? It's worth looking into because I sure as hell wish uh, my father had taken full custody of me. Not that he was equipped to uh, raise me, but somebody, somebody fucking with a sane brain took me away because, well, I'll tell you fucking how many years of therapy and uh, comedy career. <laughs> to deal to deal with this nonsense but uh get get them away why why do they need to even see him it's just stupidity it's nonsense and that goes for anybody who's got a spouse who's like alcoholic uh mentally ill whatever whatever why why do your children need a relationship with that person it it makes absolutely no sense to me but there he's the grandfather he's the who cares does that mean that this guy has a right to abuse your kids because that's what he's doing? Or the wife, the crazy ex-wife or whoever? Who gives a shit? Is it worth it if every time your kid comes back from being with them, their heads are screwed so hard and that they're crying and they're hysterical because daddy said something nutty or mommy said something nutty or did something nutty? Is it worth it to have that relationship? I read some article... Fuck, was it the New York Times? My husband sent it to me. Uh, Some statistic like 8% of the population is estranged from their mommies and daddies. That's a lot of people who choose voluntarily not to have contact with their relatives. Um, It's a decision I made and continue to make. Um, So, hey, don't feel guilty. Don't you dare. Because if self-preservation and preserving your baby's lives... And their mental health uh, is guilt-inducing. Well, something something's wrong with you, because that's the big problem when you don't protect your babies from psychos, from fucking junkies and and mentally ill people. That's the big problem. And your babies are gonna not like you when they grow up and realize, hey, mommy could have protected me and she didn't. <sighs> so it's your job, my love. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry you're dealing with this, but. <laughs> What, why, why does, why, 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 
move away, get away, get, get custody. It's crazy. They don't really want to be, don't worry. Dad doesn't really want to be a parent anyways. That's why he disappears for long periods of time. Right? All these shit, shit co-parents that you guys have, these abusers, these alcoholics, these disappearing acts, they don't want to be fucking parents, man. That's why they do all that stuff. So don't feel so bad. Don't worry. Don't worry about them. <laughs> they don't care. Trust me. They, they care when it's convenient. And, uh, and a kid feels that and a kid internalizes that as their problem, not the parents. That's the danger of all this. Anyways, there you go. I hope that helped you, my love. And um, email me. That's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com if you have anything you want to go over. Um, 2018, bros. Let's fucking do it. This is the year. This is the year. This is the year. <laughs> no, all years are the years, right? Um, anyways, have a great week. And I will talk to you again next week. Until then, that's been Deep Bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep.